Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. And today, my guest is Miles Wakeham. Now, he has an interesting story in that he had an unusual start, and he has an amazing current, and his ending is not yet, he's not even close to done. Uh, Sort of a rags to riches kind of thing, and a, a woe to wow Miles is going to talk to us a little bit about how to break through uh, some some constricting or restricting mindset stuff. And I I love this because Miles is known as the contrarian, at which point I expect him to say, no, I'm not. Uh, So so, without going too much further, uh, we're going to find out about, about Miles, his background, where he is now and where he's going. Miles Wakeham, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. So you didn't start out a multimillionaire. Um, <laughs> uh, in fact, you didn't even finish high school. Is that right? That is correct. So, so where did you start out? Obviously, your accent is uh, is not the southern U.S. It is where. Well, it is in the south, but it's way south, uh, way Australia. South. Yes. So, yeah. No, I grew up. Um, I grew up in Australia in the sixties, uh, which was kind of. I mean, I don't didn't think anything was unusual at the time. I was just a regular kid. Had a couple of good parents. Um, I grew up in a city called Adelaide, which has got about a million people. So, I guess a regular everyday Western kind of city at the time. Um, Australia was uh, an unusual place on the other side of the world. No one really ever went there back in those days. Uh, And we rarely left. And so it was a very island kind of society with, I don't know, I guess 15 million odd people there at the time, much more now. But um, growing up in that kind of idyllic world, it was a world of uh, what we called free range kids. And that was we were kids with bicycles and natural reserves and parks and nature and all of that stuff. And that kept us pretty occupied and busy. And you, you know, sneak in a little bit of schoolwork somewhere in there. And that was your life. Um, my parents were musicians, which was weird. Uh, my mother was a concert pianist. So I was expected at the age of five to have a violin stuck under my chin and was told constantly, kid, you're going to be in the symphony orchestra one day. And at the age of 11, I was, which was weird. I was in the junior uh, South Australian Symphony Orchestra. And um, school was always secondary to music in our world. Uh, I guess that's unusual in the States. I certainly noticed that when I arrived when I was 25 and I came to the States. But uh, back in those days, that was my calling. And it wasn't until I was a teenager that I realized that I wasn't going to make any money doing it. It wasn't that money was ever my goal. It was just that I wanted stability and security. And I stumbled upon a thing called a personal computer when they first came out in 1977, 78. 
started writing software in my bedroom when I was about 14, um, convinced my father about a year later that I knew what I was doing and that I could, I wanted to start a software company. And he looked at me like I was a, a fool. Why would I ever leave school? But somehow I must have been convincing. And he decided that it would be better as long as I took on the responsibility of the world myself, that he let me go. So I did. And um, a few short years later, I was writing software for uh, forensic science laboratories, university, bio, you know, uh, cryogenic storage systems, uh, big corporations, governments, um, attorney general's department in my state. Uh, and then the biggest one, I think, was when I wrote a $5 billion defense contract management system for a submarine manufacturer. And uh, I was 22 years old. Um, and I'm not that smart. This is the weird thing. I just I just had this musical sense of being able to sense the essence of something. And uh, I took that and I took that into my, I saw software as just another language to speak, whether it was the language of music on a on sheet notes or whether it was English. Uh, in my case, software was just another language. I learned to speak it. And then once I could speak it, I decided to tell stories with it and they ended up making me quite successful young. I think that's amazing. Um, yeah. You know, just going from a kid who was exposed to the outdoors, the right free range kid, uh, which, which is a great platform for creativity. And yeah. then um, having music all around you so that you grew up with this second language of music and understanding music in a way that um, most people actually never even touch. They never get there to, to touch it. And, you know, it's, it's unique that you were able to do that. You say you're not that smart. And at the same time, you have this ability to do what you said was sense kind of the essence of something. Um, when you wrote the, did you say $22 million? Five billion. Billion. Billion mm -hmm. with dollars. <laughs> with a B. Um, yeah. that money didn't all go to you. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> they got to build the boats, you know. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> but it was software for this for this multi-billion dollar project. Um how at you were in your early 20s, how in your early 20s did you decide what a contract was worth? How did you uh, like knock on knock on the, you know, the government's door and go, "Hey, I I could probably be your guy. Kind of. Um, the one thing I learned very early on was the idea of being ahead of a wave. Uh, and that is that if I knew something that somebody wanted, then I could name my price, which was nice. Um, I wasn't greedy. I just wanted to be fairly treated. Um, it's funny I should say that because I, th this is a running theme in what I talk about a lot, and that is this concept of waves. Um, if you will indulge me, I'll tell you a little story about that. Please. So when you, yeah, please. When you're growing up in Australia, um, you are surrounded by nature because there's not that many humans and it's a big island. So it's an island the size of the United States with like 20 million on it. So you can imagine it's, it's pretty sparse. Most people uh, live around the coast because the beaches are beautiful and it's temperate. Um, and when you do that, you grow up with the ocean and you learn to surf, you learn to boat and swim and all these things. And 
And when I was a teenager, I wanted to be, you know, that great gnarly surfer, just like all my friends did. So we all got somebody borrowed a old VW microbus and we'd go off to the coasts and these far-fung places to find the best waves. We didn't know what we were doing. We we're idiots. But I learned so much out there in the ocean that I could never learn in school. And to this day, it's the most important things that I ever learned. When you're stuck out there on a board, you first realize that, well, you're going to catch a wave, you've got to get wet. So you're going to go out in the ocean and you're going to sit on this piece of fiberglass and wait for the waves to come. And then you start realizing day after day doing this, that you're not very successful. You know, the waves are dumping you, getting hit in the back of the head by the board. You're exhausted chasing this thing around and you're getting nowhere. And you look around you and there's these people, they just see this wave come, they get up on it and they ride. And you're like, I want to be like that. No, that's my, that's why I'm here. What are they doing? Well, after a few days of it, I used my analytical nature to kind of look at the ocean and to sort of see it like it was telling me something. And I started realizing there were patterns. The waves came in sets, usually in threes. And I realized that the wave is kind of this representation of energy in the universe, energy in nature. And if it saw that I was not an adversary of it, that I was synergistic with it, it would pick me up and it would pass its energy to me. And the way of doing that was I had to be ahead of it. I had to be seeing it on the horizon. I had to be paddling. So it saw me as somebody also wanting to move forward towards the beach. And when that happened, it would pick me up and when it picked me up, it would take me with it and it would pass its energy to me. And I got the ride of my life. When I worked that out, I never had a problem surfing anymore. And then I realized that's how the universe works on everything. You start off in this world of, um, I don't know, like uh, everything's a wave. Everything has polarity. You start realizing the planet wouldn't spin if it didn't have a north and a south pole and magnetics must be equal and everything that goes up must come down. And you you learn all of these things. We we take it in for in grant, we take it for granted in our in our syntax. In computing, the whole world is all about bytes, binary digits, on and off states. You start understanding that things always work in cycles. I can talk to you now because sound resonates like waveforms. You can hear me because of that. Um, musical instruments, the strings vibrate. They vibrate forward and back. Everything is in, in concert with each other. When you start understanding that and you look at charts of, of waveforms, I could see the universe was telling me something. And so I took those waveform charts and as I've gone through life, I imposed them in business. And I understood the importance of being ahead of that wave. Pick it, ride that thing, paddle like crazy. And the sucker will pick you up and give you its energy for free. I mean, this doesn't take a high school graduate to know this. It just takes a kid getting beaten up on a surfboard. And the reality is I took that into real estate, Bitcoin, stocks, you know, dividends, every technology opportunities. And it became the underlying, uh, the, the key skeleton of everything that I became. 
You know, I didn't have to work very hard anymore. This is amazing. So you're talking about uh, Troward. You're talking about uh, Napoleon Hill. You're talking about Wallace Waddles. Um, uh, A lot of the success writers who... Are ta- would talk about polarity, the law, uh, right? The the it's basically what you've just described as the all the laws of abundance have to do with being able to see the waves and know that there is this law of polarity. That if you know for for whatever circumstance you're in, the opposite also exists, and so whatever you want, you have to see that it exists and that a wave for that is coming. Um, this, it's a, it's a huge lesson. Here's what's interesting, Miles, is that a lot of humans on this planet, whether they're kids or adults, would see a wave, get hit in the head with a surfboard, and then either blame the wave or blame the surfboard. And, right, and that's where people get lost is, you know, oh, that surfboard did it to me again, or oh, that wave, you know, and it's too salty out here. And uh, and you had the foresight to go, no, no, there's a waveform. There's patterns that can be recognized. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, so the beach was my friend. And being able to see the the, the waves come in sets was, was part of what made it fun. Um, uh, you know, you drink enough salt water and then it becomes fun. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I would love for you to talk about how did you get that perspective and not get mad at the outside? Like, so that's the biggest lesson. And I just had, uh, I just had a, a private client who got buried by outside circumstances and she could not see beyond the outside circumstances to see that this is a, a wave and she's actually the one in control of where she is in stepping into that wave. So talk a little bit about two things one how did you have that perspective and two what would you say to people who were going ride a wave right so (laughs) talk a little bit about that uh, there were so many things that i found in my travels when i started traveling around the world meeting people becoming more prominent in business and 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 trying to tell people this story um what I found was nine times out of ten, the the flaws that we have in our human psyche, our human DNA, um, have to be understood and have to be controlled. And so many of those flaws are imposed from outside circumstance. Fear is one of the biggest ones, but greed, op- you know, missed opportunity, um, envy, uh, dominance. These are not good things. And we have to realize that as a species, these characteristics are not shared by all of the other species we share this planet with. And at some point, we have to realize that we have such great capability of being the best when times are at their worst and that we have empathy and we have all these capabilities to do remarkable things. But we're also our own worst enemy unless we understand our weaknesses and we control them. And I think that the one thing I've noticed, and this is particularly, it's not just in um, a United States or American thing. It happens all over, but it's very, very noteworthy in America is fear. People are scared to step out of their norms and ride a wave. 
there's every excuse under the sun as to why I shouldn't go into a market or where I, why, you know, it's other people get rich and I don't or all these excuses. And I, I look at it and go, you're making a justification for your fear. If you can just put that aside and you can look at something pragmatically, it becomes easy. It becomes it, extremely it, easy. I've heard it. I've heard it said that you know to rationalize is to give yourself a ration of lies, and um, <laughs> right that it's that. And America, United States, I will say because we are we are so uh, uh, geocentric that we forget that North America also includes Canada and. I know when we say America, it also could include South America. So the United States is an interesting place because we rely so much on the media and the news, which is heavily biased. And the media gets its eyeballs, right? It requires eyeballs. It requires you to watch it. And it does that by igniting fear. Well, Mm -hmm. we're drawn toward that. We humans, I mean, for better or worse, we're drawn toward what's next, what's next. And, uh, you know, the limbic system goes on alert and, and here we are. So rather than that, like animal, you noted, you noted that, uh, in nature, yes, there's fear, but we're, they don't get stuck there. It's sort of like notice that there's danger, get yourself out of danger, go to the next thing. It's not, you're not in danger anymore. Um, fear, greed, and dominance those are things that are we choose we actually choose and and we can then also choose empathy um and one of my core teachings is about perspective that we if if you are able to make the assumption that you don't know everything about the situation or the other person or yourself then you put yourself in a place of wonder rather than in a place of fear. And you go, what am I missing? Right. And so I love everything you're saying, Miles, because um, it matches a hundred percent of, of the, the success, the success path for anybody who wants to step into true success. Yeah. Yeah. I I think also that um, we do take ourselves a bit too seriously too. Um, This is one of the most important lessons I've learned. This particularly came later in life. Um, True wealth is about resources and the ultimate resource that you can have is time. Mm. You can't have enough of it, Right. And when you get past the midpoint in your life and you realize there are less days ahead of you than you have in the rearview mirror, you start really appreciating time at a level you didn't in your 20s and so on. And I'm not talking about whether you've got some sort of a a crazy self-destructive nature. I'm talking more about the fact that you look more long, everything's a longer play and you start realizing that you can't live in a world where your expectations are based on a fast food menu. You've got to look at the world from the point of view that what I do today will matter in a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. And this is something I learned early on. And when I was 22, my father passed away and I was an only child, so I had to bury him. And that was a kind of a formidable time for me because 
Prior to that, I didn't understand the importance of life at that level. Not until somebody passes and that you have to be the guy to identify the body and, do, you know, all of that gruesome mm. stuff. But what I did was after he passed, I had to go through his life and work out his finances for my mom to make sure she was going to be fine and, and so on. And what I saw was a story about a man who died at 67 years old. He retired at 65. And I thought, that's just wrong, right? That's just wrong. His whole working life, he had worked to have these beautiful, glorious last quarter days, you know, his twilight years. And he never got it. It was taken from him. And I questioned why. And what I found out was that he actually died because he was a company man. He worked for the same company for 40 years. And that company made building products, building materials, and he was a foreman. And eventually, due to an accident in the field, he was uh, brought back into the office and forced to work in the lab for the last like 10 10 years of his life. It was a big company. I won't say who it was because I don't want to get in trouble. But as it happens, we find out that this company made asbestos building materials, roof tiles, and my father had contracted what they called back in those days asbestosis. We would call it mesothelioma today, Mm. but it was basically lung cancer. And it took his life. And he devoted 40 years of his life for this company. He put everything out there for them and put his own needs aside. He did that for his family too, but he never got anything for it. And I looked at the whole thing and I go, there but for the grace of God go I. I am not going to do that. That is not going to be me. I will not be the company man. I will not be the regular predictable citizen. I will be me. I will be honest to who I am, to what I feel, to what I learn and see in the world, to the opportunities that are presented, to the waves. I will take my risks and my responsibilities, but I will not live that life that he lived. And it's not because I didn't love him. It's because I couldn't be him. I think that's important. I I could see the 22-year-old you almost standing on a mountaintop making that declaration right that it's like i will not give 40 years of my life to any one organization only to die a few years after i retire oh heck no i'm not gonna do that right that that's right like on. yeah i just i i could see a 22 year old like declaring that in the world uh the 22 year old you um i I, again, love everything about that because it's it's like, okay, so if not that because, and it's not a bad choice for those that need it because a, a career job offers security and stability. That's excellent. If that's what you need, you chose a path of exploration and entrepreneurship and that's full of risk. So somewhere in there, you you internalized a belief of, I believe in myself enough to figure anything out. Yeah. Um, a lot of that comes from being raised in Australia because everything on the ground crawling around is going to kill you. <laughs> you know, that's actually a joke in our family. Like w- we could go, we could visit, but no, Australia, it's going to kill you. Like everything is there. <laughs> 
like even platypuses as as cute as yeah. they look they have like these spines on their tails and exactly there, there are yeah. crabs that are like six feet in diameter it's like what anyway that's a <laughs> that's another story uh i mean you do realize or you recognize early on i guess as a kid that you know you're gonna fend for yourself out if you go out you're gonna you're gonna find a way to survive but the real what's interesting for me miles is that you sit here like i and we have listeners and we have viewers and um for the listeners you're sitting here and you're very understated you're relaxed you're understated you're not you know pounding the table and making these declarations um you're like you know this is the way i live my life like i know i'm gonna figure it out i know that you know i'm i'm working on a massive development that's gonna turn into a utopia for people who want to visit central Mm -hmm. mexico it's like that's just a matter of fact for you. Yeah, yeah, it is. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event www.exponentialsuccesssummit.com I mean look um you got to vent adventures in life I guess yeah I'm not seeking that out and I'm not one of these like crazy uh I'll go you know bungee jump and jump out of a plane I, I'm nothing against that if you love doing that all power to you but that's not me um I do think that that sense of time importance mm-hmm. means that if I don't do the best I can do every day, but I don't feel that each day was some sort of a positive move towards something, some mission, then I don't feel like I'm taking advantage of that time. And when I see it being taken from friends of mine early on in life, um, I just, again, it just reaffirms my commitment to make sure that I'm doing the right thing and I'm doing the best thing that I can do for my family, for me, um, and what for us. Um, an interesting thing was we uh, discovered uh, we live in Arizona most of the time. And uh, my wife and I discovered as our daughter graduated college and went off to have her life that we wanted another chapter for us, but it wasn't going to be like my father. <laughs> it was going to be kind of weird. and. Um, through a, a, a crazy interconnected set of circumstances, we found ourselves in San Miguel de Allende, which is in uh, the center of Mexico. And we bought an acre of land that used to be a bullfighting ring. And we demolished the bull. It was a matador school, had these big 30 foot high compound walls around it. 
And so we bought, uh, we completely bulldozed the uh, bullfighting ring, returned it back to its original virgin land, and then worked with some architects to build a beautiful house, um, big home with great views. And then the thing that I'd always wanted to do, and that was to build a world-class recording studio. And uh, we're in the middle of that right now. I find out the other day from my architect that, in fact, this will be the largest private recording studio in Latin America, which is astounding. But I, having a musical background, I did work in Hollywood in the recording business for a number of years. There were so many things there which I I loved and cherished in that time. But through circumstance, I missed opportunities that happened that I had no control over. And one day we decided that it was time for me to complete that chapter in my life and build this studio. And I'm so blessed to have a wife who puts up with my craziness. Mind you, she's Australian. She grew up in Papua New Guinea with the natives. (laughs) So she knows about you know, it's like I look at it and go, well, my upbringing was kind of weird. And I, uh, and I look at my wife and I go, no, no, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't grow up at eight years old with a bunch of cannibals. I mean, that wasn't, you know, that's that was her world. And and then she when she returned back to Australia and finished her education, she went off to Europe and she lived in Germany for a couple of years and then traveled all over. And, and, and her stories are, are rich and powerful. And I. I'm so blessed to be able to have somebody like that by my side. So when it comes to adventures like this, she's all on board. I mean, she wants it too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's fun. I think of this as, you know, I'm I'm overlaying the concept of surfing and catching the wave as you're talking. You know, it's like through circumstances beyond my control, it was sort of time to wrap up that chapter. Awesome. Circumstances beyond your control meant that the wave, you know, the the wave set had passed. Mm-hmm. And and now you've got to paddle somewhere else, either to catch another wave or just to, you know, put your surfboard away. And and you found a surfing buddy, which is awesome, right? That <laughs> your wife is like, hey, you know, that wave was little. Let's go catch the next big one. And it's like, all right, here we go. Yeah. And I, I think that's so great. You ignite each other, is what it sounds like. Um it's just it's it's fabulous i uh also kind of the idea of opportunity right mm-hmm. that it's sort of what you said was you know through these circumstances that you know just sort of collided um this thing came about because you don't wake up one day and go hey i think i'm gonna buy a a bull uh, <laughs> a bullfighting compound in central mexico and turn it into a recording studio right. like that's that's not something that most people sort of envision and for whatever reason an opportunity came to you and your dream sort of landed there and sprouted and you were yeah. able to take it to fruition and multiple steps in there. One, there's this opportunity. Two, there's this dream. And three, there's the action you took to actually make it happen. Because a lot of people would go, <laughs> Central Mexico. <laughs> uh, a lot of people would go, wow, massive construction. <laughs> a lot of people would go, it's a dream. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know. And you're like, <clears throat> it's all Do coming it. together. <laughs> Why not just look like it's all coming together. It's what I thought I wanted. 
yeah. mean, it does it does relate to the wave. Um, a number of years back, we we were in. Uh, let's see. Oh, I'll start with Australia in 2018. Um, we had gone back. My wife's parents were there. We went back. We go back every year for an hour, a month or so just to see family. And um, I noticed this. Uh, we'd been doing this over the course of like ten or so years, so dating back to about maybe 2010, something like that. And um, we had noticed this continuous increase in uh, Chinese um, uh, purchasing most of the natural resources of the country because China was on the ascent and it needed iron ore and bauxite and, and liquid natural gas and all these things that Australia had an abundance of. And so China wanted to be its best customer. In fact, it, it did become its biggest customer. Um, but its demands as a as a uh, uh, customer were so uh, outrageous at one point that the Australian government said, no, enough of this. And, and all of a sudden, I could see that the people in Australia were enjoying the money, but not enjoying the what the what came with it. You know the the terms and conditions. Yeah. So they were turning off that market, and it hurt their economy big time. I was back in Arizona. I looked at the United States at about that time, and I realized that this is going to happen here too. That there's going to be eventually a a rejection of this trading partner, not necessarily outright, but at least a whittling down. And what I could see was that if the if if China and the United States, which were effectively frenemies <coughs> at the time, if they became not adversarial, but but very competitive against each other, that we would not be buying all of these things at China. You'd go into Walmart and everything on the store was made in China. And you'd wonder, well, what would this do to our economy? I mean, this would destroy us. I thought, so this is about 2018, 2019. I thought that what would happen is they'll go to Mexico. The corporations will start building factories in Mexico. And that was a long time ago. Why? Because I could see a wave. I could see a pattern of things happening in the future. And I realized that. And I wanted to put myself in front of that wave and start paddling. And that was what got us into there. And thank God we did because, I mean, look, it's easy to measure success in numerical terms. Oh, we bought it this and it's now worth that. I mean, but that's not what this is about. What this is about is finding um, a place which is buoyant and, and positive and looking to its future in which it's encouraging partnership, but it's maintaining its sovereignty. And, and all of those things are part of what makes me proud to be in Mexico. But I'm also proud to be an American citizen. I'm also proud to be an Australian citizen. I'm like everybody. <laughs> I you're, accept all comers. <laughs> you're a global citizen, it sounds like, which is, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. But yeah. this, this is what's happened. You look at, the say, Elon Musk with his new gigafactory outside of Monterey in, in uh, uh, Nuevo León in uh, Mexico. I mean, that's not a small investment. But just like that, Volkswagen have a $4 billion plant in Puebla. 85% of every Volkswagen uh, you buy in the United States was made there. Every one of those little Amazon vans you see driving around delivering your products. If you see a Mercedes label on it, they were made in Guadalajara. That was, you know, it's a five-hour bus trip from where I am. 
Um, these European companies invested hundreds of billions of dollars to have a footprint in Mexico so they can trade into the United States. And it's only now that we start seeing the US doing the same. I, I go to uh, the airport and we go through a, a town called Salayo, which is basically General Motors. They own the whole town. If I look at their plant, it makes Detroit look amateur. I mean, I'm, in its heyday, you just see nothing but GM trucks there. They're already mm-hmm. get shipped up to Texas. This is this is our world, and it just seems to me as a surfer, this is a wave. It's a big one. So I got on the board and I stuck myself there and I'm having a great ride right now. And I just hope it doesn't end for a while. So what are you seeing now? Um, And I would love for you to talk about this from two perspectives. One is, what are you seeing now for yourself? Like what's next? And um, what are you seeing kind of globally? What's next? What's like you're able to to do pattern recognition. So you're seeing these waves yeah. um, where we've just watched, uh, you know, not that long ago, some banks collapse. We've watched the stock market go down as a result and bounce back up because it always does so down and up. It's sort of like what a wave. Imagine that. So uh, so what are you seeing for yourself and what are you seeing kind of globally? Um. There's two things. Um, there's there's the situation as it is today and what's led up to it in regards to economics. There's the future and where it was going in terms of maybe technology. Technology is a very powerful thing because it's because of technology we win world wars. It's because of technology we have an industrial revolution. It's because in technology we have a combustion engine. Um, and I'm, we're not, we think of technology as like, Silicon chips and biotech and you know computers and phones and all that stuff, but that, that's that's only the very last little stage in a very very long story in regards to technology, right? Yeah. So um, we have to let me let me go down the technology path first. We're in this world right now where we are becoming a, a humanity, a society which is deferring to the technology. Um, you want food, you call DoorDash or you get in your phone, right? You you want to pick, a, get somewhere, you do an Uber. You you want a, a product, you go to Amazon. These are just normal things that become habitual. We don't think as much for ourselves because we've got Google. We can just ask it, you know. Um, our media is delivered to us. Our distractions are delivered to us. Our games are delivered to us this way. Um, it's, it's part of us now. And... That's not necessarily making us better humans. It's just making us, um, it's more, com- it's it's easier. Well, the, the next stage right now with technology, if you were to build something and realize as a as an IT department would know, you build something, you put it on servers, your biggest line item cost after the thing's built is a bunch of DevOps or system engineers that run around and keep the thing running all the time. Well, those guys cost you six-figure salaries, and you look at it and go, God, they're so expensive. Yeah, because they've got a lot of work to do. Well, wouldn't it be great if the very technology which we invented that they're managing, wonder if it could look after itself? Autonomous. Oh, what a great idea. Yeah, let's do that. While we're at it, let's get it to be uh, understanding of the data we feed it, and let's let it start looking for patterns 
and let's let it start defining its identity. Let's begin building an, a version of ourselves, but in silicon form, in digital form, right? This used to be science fiction, but it's not anymore because you've got people who are using chat GPT to write their thesis papers now. I mean, it's we've gotten to that point. What I fear is that we are giving away our identity as human beings, as analog organic organisms to our creation in technology at a point I've never seen before. And this is coming from somebody who spent 40 years in this world, in the technology world. I think we've we've passed the point of understanding it serves us to the point where we are serving it. And I'm concerned about that. Now, there's been some recent examples, I say recent, you know, in a relative term, um, about how the society reacted negatively to this sort of thing. And it happens to be in music. In the 1970s, there was a big movement in the early part of the 70s towards what we would call these days prog rock, glam rock, stadium rock. Bands like Yes and, 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 you know, big bands that could fill these massive auditoriums. They created shows that were things like laser lights and these, you know, kind of performances and so on. But and eventually a lot of that was like pre-recorded and they were just sort of playing a role on stage, the hundreds of thousands of people. But that was what we thought music was progressing towards. Society looked at it and said, no, music's supposed to be us. It's supposed to be we humans and it's our weaknesses and our our desires and it's our depressions and it's our achievements and it's represented in music. It's not this digital synthetic version of us. And what came out of that was punk rock. But somebody got in somebody's face and said, no, pay attention to me. I'm human. I'll spit at you if I have to. I'll do whatever it takes for you to pay attention to me. And all of a sudden, that is what music became. And everything was built on it for a decade or so. It was like it was like the slap back against our synthetic self to our real self. And I think we're going to go through a time in the future where things get so synthetic that we as humans will reject it outright. And that's what I'm banking on right now. I think it's not that you have to be vintage or go back to the old roots of analog ways. It's just that you have to be able to counter our intention to create competitive organisms to ourselves that we can't beat. It's it's an interesting construct, Miles, because... You know, four years ago, people were saying, um, put down the tech and go out and actually get together and meet with each other. And two years ago, people were going, we can't get together. We need to, in order to have a a face-to-face conversation, we need to do it via Zoom or some other, you know, kind of computer program. So pick up the tech and connect with somebody. And now we're, you know, post-pandemic and we're at the point of we don't know how to be with each other, but at least there's chat GPT and and for GPT and you know the the next iteration and 
and we're looking at uh, uh, pseudo-sentient robots that have eyes that move and facial expression that's all been programmed. Um, it hasn't, I mean, at this point, learning is quote unquote a thing or not a thing. Um, I'm just, you know, in terms of watching the waves, I, I watched us pre-pandemic, through the pandemic, post-pandemic, and there's this almost grasping at leaping while also holding on to to uh this we need to be we we need more empathy we need to be in contact with each other like we're watching i'm i'm working on a project that i'm calling the culture of caring and and to to be able to be profitable and increase productivity and engagement in the workforce our management our leadership needs to be able to demonstrate a level of empathy that says I see you, dear human, not when did you clock in, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so I think you're right. I just don't know what it looks like uh, in terms of the next wave. I don't know if we're going to go to the super silicon kind of, uh, kind of space um, because I'm also seeing that pushback happening already, which is kind of cool. Yeah, uh, that would be encouraging. Um, I don't know when we humans reached our peak yet. I don't. I, I would like to say we haven't, but there are times when I look back at maybe the pre-industrial revolution era, and I look at things that were so actually forgotten about and yet so positive in that region. And for example, we're going through, as you rightly said before, we're going through a bit of a I call it a crisis right now. Banking clashes, whatever. Um, I I did a little research on this recently and and found out that forty six point one percent of our entire GDP in the US is basically banking services, support legal and professional services, including you know attorneys and so on, insurance. Um, that's more almost half of our entire GDP. None of it matters. We don't make anything anymore. We don't provide service that's critical anymore. We sit around moving numbers and bits of paper around. If I was a business owner and I came in and looked at my expense budget and I saw how much money was going to these things, I'd be like, right, get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. I'd do the Elon Musk disruptive thing and destroy it, burn it to the ground and start all over again. But, I love this so much. But we yeah. can't. This is where this is where our society has gone now. Well, this is it's interesting. One of the things that I do in coaching is uh I'll pull the leadership out and I'll go, if you became the brand new CEO, or if you were to hire a CEO for the company that is you, for the company that you're running, whether it's your own life or whether it's your company. What would you want that CEO to do first? And it's sort of like it gives permission to step out of the, well, I'm too busy running the thing to, to actually see it. And it gives permission to step away and go, well, the first thing I do is I cut this. Like, you know, if, as an outside perspective, it's like this is working, but it's it's not producing. So why do we have it? Um, right. And it and and I think what we need to do also along the lines of waves is to recognize that when you cut something free, 
you open space for something new and potentially more generative to come in. So that's a that's a huge thing. I want to be uh, conscious of our time together, and you know, I, I want to ask you if there are things that we haven't covered that you were hoping we'd cover, and like what what would be some uh, closing thoughts that you that you have, and and then thirdly, how do people find you? Because um, you're you're hugely interesting, and I uh, I'm so glad to have had you here. Um, there's uh... I think really at the end of the day, we we have to get back to our organic self. We have to realize that we're just another species in the universe. We can't take ourselves so seriously. And at the end of the day, what we do really matters, both for us and for the generations that come after us. If you're doing any work that doesn't involve actually creating something of value that serves other humans or that produces by creativity something good, if you're a farmer, if you're a plumber, if you're an electrician, you are the heroes, right? Wear that with pride. If you're sitting there pushing paper around all day in a cubicle, wondering why you hate your job and that you're stuck in this situation, you hate the hour and a half commute to work every day and dealing with this, but this is your lot, remember my father's story. Don't be that person. Take courage and go out there and do something meaningful that takes your talent, that hones your talent, that makes you somebody that you can be proud of. That's what I would say. And if you want to call that contrarian thinking, if you want to find every excuse under the sun why you can't do it, then I'll quote Dr. Phil. How's that working out for you? Yeah, I, uh, I'm i making notes as you're talking. This is, it's so important. When you talk about honing your talent, um, and taking that risk, you know, that's a, that I have a whole story that I do on the four letter word ending in K and that's risk, right? That you can't move forward without doing that. And, and people wait for their sense of purpose. Well, who am I in the world? You know, I'm waiting for my, my purpose to, you know, smack me in the face and and show itself to me. It's like you, what you just said was hone your natural talent. Like there's something that is calling you. And I'm a big fan of of listening to those whispers. Like what has been calling you that you've said, not right now, I'm too busy being busy, you know? <laughs> so, so I love that. Do something meaningful that hones your talent is a great quote. I, I love that, Miles. Thank you. All right. Well, then you asked about how people can get a hold of me and find what I do. I, yeah. I have a website called beunconstrained.com. And from there, it launches out into all things in Miles's crazy world, uh, including a podcast I do, um, various shows I'm on, uh, articles I write. I have a book coming out. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. If if anybody is interested in going down a path that the social mantra is probably not going to, you know, be compatible with, I'm your guy. <laughs> Come over to beunconstrained.com and have a look around and see if you can find something there of interest. And I hope you do. Uh, I am certain. So, you know, I, I do lots of podcasts. I get to interview people from around the world and uh, you know, these are people that I've been introduced to through, you know, online or directly. And I never know who I get to talk to fully. Um, I get the bio, I get a little background. It's, it's great. 
you are somebody that I could hang out with, have a beer with, like, you know, like just sit around a fire with and talk to into the wee hours. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, I really truly appreciate you being here. Um, I think that for our listening audience, the depth of what has been said uh, is so tremendous. You may want to listen to this one again um because it really is about uh putting your board in the water paddling out and staying ahead of the wave uh looking for those patterns and knowing that you know your success is is being able to see those patterns and stay ahead of that wave this is it's huge miles this is uh it, it, i really appreciate your being here so oh, thank, thank you for having me i really do appreciate it thank you yeah yeah all righty. Well, beunconstrained.com. That is where you will find uh, you will find Miles Wakem. And uh, just so you can spell it, or I'll spell it for you, Wakem. And I'm hoping I've been pronouncing it correctly. You have. Yeah. It's very awesome. It's <laughs> W-A-K-E-H-A-M, Miles, M-Y-L-E-S, Miles Wakem uh, at beunconstrained.com. Very good. Again, thank you. This is One Sharp Sword Cutting Through to What Matters Most. My guest today, Miles Wakem, and I am Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach. Thank you for being here. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword Cutting Through to What Matters Most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell the Breakthrough Success Coach and your powerful presence mentor.